Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Make every great path straight. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what we want to do today essentially is to um, conclude on what we began to look at the last time uh, we met, which was the 21st, last time we broadcasted, which was the 21st of November. 2018. Um, in that broadcast, we looked essentially at the concept of suffering or what we called Christian suffering as distinct from just um, suffering. We noted that uh, what we had discussed at Priory, which was the matter of adoption and sonship, had with it the uh, importance of um, suffering attached with it. And, and we, we saw that when we talk of um, Christian suffering, we're not talking of one who is suffering for a crime that has been committed, but rather we, we, we spoke of suffering as an affliction or pain arising from our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this could come in the form of physical bodily harm, uh, loss of property, deprivation of one form or the other. We noted that the Bible actually teaches severally that we are to expect suffering. And we, we gave the various examples of that. And then we gave reasons why uh, Christians would suffer. One of the reasons would be because of the hatred that the world have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And since we are identified with him, that hatred transmits onto us. And so we suffer because he also uh, suffered in the hands of the world. We also noted that uh, by reason of the word of God, which we have received, we, are, we, we, we face challenges. That is the word of God, which we have heard, would, would, would test us, would test our capacity and our ability to obey the word of God itself. And so we could go, suffer deprivation or affliction or even conflicts as a result of such. And finally, we noted, uh, looking at the example of Job, that suffering can come because Satan is trying to say to God that we are only there uh, for the for the ride, for the joy ride, and that we will not we would curse God once we begin to suffer deprivation. And I think we concluded uh, the last time as we looked at the reason why we teach um, suffering. And we noted essentially that if you are a believer, you are to expect, it is expected that you would suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, a, a, a message that teaches that Christianity is um, about just, you know, enjoying yourself and so on and so forth is a very, very wrong doctrine. Indeed, we noted how the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 33, and I believe that's where we really uh, uh, ended where the Lord Jesus challenged his listeners and told them that unless they are willing to give up uh, the, the, their, their love, as it were, or rather, unless they are willing to love him more than they love any other thing, including their own lives, they cannot be his disciples. And we looked at the matter of the fact that the Lord expects us to be 100% devoted to him, that we will not deny him, um, uh, sorry, that we'll be willing to deny ourselves of certain benefits for his sake and that would carry our cross on a daily basis 
and um, you know, act accordingly. And I think we ended by asking one major question, and that is, what is your Christianity costing you? Because there is a price to Christianity. And yes, the Lord Jesus Christ has paid for it, but there is a cost that comes with it when we live the, the, the life of, 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 of Christ on a daily basis in our own lives. Now, we want to continue from with, with this same thread on um, the matter of Christian suffering or Christians suffering as we look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 10, uh, to uh, probably stop at verse 16. Uh, James begins to write, says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. If any, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, why we have read this is essentially to draw out two things. Firstly, is the fact that suffering is a part of the Christian walk. And there is something, there is a, a, an attribute, if you can use that uh, uh, word, that every Christian must possess. And that is perseverance or endurance. Now, if you, if you are unable to endure, if you are unable to persevere, then you actually disqualify yourself from being a Christian. Because Christianity has to do with the ability to endure. That is where the word long-suffering actually derives from. When we are suffering long and enduring that hardship, that suffering, that is the, 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 the attribute that the Christian needs to have. And God allows us to go through some of these things so that we can build up that endurance. I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the last broadcast, but Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, Romans 5, verse 3 and verse 4, would suggest actually that we that, that is a major thing. Bible says, I think, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, and we can rejoice also in tribulation because we know that tribulation worketh patience or perseverance and perseverance character or experience, and character, hope. So the, the, the bottom line is that suffering brings us to the place where we are built up within ourselves. It's like developing our spiritual muscles as a result of the challenges that we face, and we are able to endure the challenges that life throws at us. Secondly, is in verse 13, where he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now, 
what the Bible is saying here is that you could actually be suffering. And I think we, we also looked at it the last time where uh, Peter mentions the fact that suffering can actually be according to the will of God. And that when that time comes, we should commit our lives into his hands, which is the same thing that James is saying here, that if you are suffering, go to God in prayer. Take the matter to God in prayer. If it is something that God wants to use to build patience, perseverance, endurance in you, that would be transmitted to you in the place of prayer. You'll be comforted, you'll be edified, you'll be exhorted and encouraged to keep at it. And if it is something that is coming as a result of Satan's negativity without divine approval, it will be, be short-circuited. But if it is something that has come, that Satan wants to work out and God has approved it, God will give you the grace and the enablement to survive it, to cope with it. Now, that brings me to a very uh, crucial aspect, and that is the fact that we are warned ahead of time by God to expect suffering. Now, I, I, must, I must drum this up because a lot of people who say they are Christians have been going to church and have never been told that suffering is a part of the gospel because somebody is trying to sell them a cheap gospel which is no gospel at all and trying to make them feel that once you come into Christ, you face no challenges. Now, the, 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 the fallacy behind this kind of a gospel is that when you start facing challenges, you begin to think of who is causing your problem. And in fact, I've, indeed, I've seen many themes on billboards that have tried to address things like that. They talk of uh, who, who, has, who, 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 who has withheld my, my star, who has withheld my, my, my progress, and things like that. These are false prophets who are just trying to gather people into a place and make them feel good so that they can get into their purses and 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 and, and frisk them frisk them of certain things now now the reason why I, I i'm pointing this out is because the lord jesus never shied from telling us the matter of suffering i give you um, two instances straight away in acts chapter 9 verse 16 Acts chapter 9 verse 16, when the Lord Jesus Christ uh, brought Saul of Tarsus into the kingdom and then he told Ananias to go and um, pray for Saul so that Saul's eyes, who had been blinded by the way, Saul's eyes could be opened and that he was going to be involved in ministry on his account. One of the things that the Lord Jesus mentioned to Ananias is found in verse 16. He said, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. God already prepared Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, like we know him, for what was to uh, take place in his life and indeed in his ministry, in the course of his ministry. Now, I'm going to read uh, Paul's own account of some of the events in his life as a means of letting us know that there is nothing wrong in having to face the challenges of life. And I'm going to read from the Living Bible Translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 to verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 4 to verse 10. And I'm reading the Living Bible. It says here in verse 4, In fact, 
in everything we do, we try to show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure suffering and hardship and trouble of every kind. We have been beaten and put in jail, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, stayed awake through sleepless nights of watching and gone without food. We have proved ourselves to be what we claim by our wholesome lives and by our understanding of the gospel and by our patience. We have been kind and truly loving and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been truthful with God's power helping us in all we do. All of godly man's arsenal, weapons of defense and weapons of attack have been ours. We stand true to the Lord, whether others honor us or despise us, whether they criticize us or commend us. We are honest, but they call us liars. The world ignores us, but we are known to God. We live close to death, but here we are still very much alive. We have been injured, but kept from death. Our hearts ache, but, us, but at the same time, we have the joy of the Lord. We are poor, but we give rich spiritual gifts to others. We own nothing, and yet we enjoy everything. Now, this is an apostle. What is sad today is that many ministers act as if they don't face life's challenges. Paul here notes very eloquently and clearly that he patiently endures suffering and hardship and troubles, that he has faced life's challenges through in the course of ministry, not in course of doing anything wrong. We have men of God who act as if they don't suffer at all. They give a wrong impression to the congregation and the congregation begin to think that something is truly wrong with them. I'm told that I didn't hear it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it is true, but I'm told by somebody when we're discussing the matter of suffering and, and Christian things, and the, they told me, the fellow told me that his bishop said, talking about the case of Lazarus and the rich man in the Bible, in which the rich man lived sumptuously and Lazarus was eating from the dustbin, as it were, of the rich man and dogs were licking his saw. Of course, we know that Lazarus later went to heaven and the rich man went to hell. And he said that his bishop taught them that Lazarus was poor because he wanted to. That is, it was his, he, he was not ready to get out of poverty. I was so, I was so peeved within me that I, I didn't understand why anybody would, would, would teach such falsehood. And these are people who are well respected. I've heard of even general overseers who have been robbed at gunpoint. Who would not admit that such a thing has happened? And their, their lieutenants cover it up and they give an imagery as though, oh, they are protected. But here is Paul telling us of the challenges that he faced in the course of doing ministry. Indeed, if we move on in the same Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul documents further some of the things that he had faced. And he was writing this to tell the people, the Corinthians, that they were admitting some false brothers and he was trying to let them see the distinction between himself, a, a, an accomplished apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is one sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to them and some of these uh, 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 strange fellows who are coming with eloquence and trying to convince them in a wrong, in a, in a, in a, in a wrong thing. I, I read Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 20, uh, 23 to 33. I'm, leaving the, I'm reading the Living Bible again 
because it it breaks it down and explains it in in, in a in a simpler uh, language than the even than even the New King James would. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven from verse twenty three. Uh, it says they say it's talking about those false apostles. They say they serve Christ, but I have served him far more. Have I gone mad to boast like this? Because he knows it's not it's not proper for him to do it, but he had to do it because these people were responding to these strange fellows and not listening to the truth that is in the gospel because they were these people were preaching a happy-go-lucky, uh, feel-good message. Whereas the authentic gospel has within it the, within its context and within its application and uh, leaving it the matter of suffering. It continues, it says, I have worked harder, been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again and again. Five different times, the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole next day. I have traveled many weary nights, many weary miles rather, and have been often in great danger and flooded rivers and from robbers and from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I have faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the deserts and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered from with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the constant worry of how the churches are getting along. Who makes a mistake and I do not feel his sadness? Who falls without my longing to help him? Who is spiritually hurt without me, without my fury rather, rising against the one who has hurt him. But if I must brag, I would rather brag about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever and ever, knows I tell the truth. For instance, in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. But I was let down by rope and basket from a hole in the city wall. And so I got away. What popularity. Indeed, what popularity. I, I, I can picture somebody inviting Saul of Tarsus to his church today. And Saul of Tarsus begins, and, or, or, or either Saul of Tarsus mentions them, or somebody is telling you about this, this great man of God that is coming to speak to you. And he begins to reel out these things. This man has been beaten several times. This man has been imprisoned several times for the sake of the gospel. Armed robbers have attacked him. He has been shipwrecked a number of times. I guess I, I, can, I can tell you that many of us listening now will just pack our Bibles and walk away. We say, no, we didn't come to hear this. We came to hear how we can make money. We came to hear how we can, how, how we can be famous. We came to hear how, how we can be great. We didn't come to hear about suffering. But that is what the Bible is telling us. That Paul went through these things. Indeed, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10, uh, I'll turn to our regular uh, New King James here. He, he, Paul mentions uh, a major thing that happened to him all in the course of the pursuit of the gospel. This is a, this is a, a foremost apostle, one who is credited with half 
we're writing half of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. Remember, the Lord Jesus had said concerning him that he was going to suffer many things on his, on his account. Now listen to this. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I kept praying. I kept praying three different times, three distinct times. And we're not talking of five-minute prayers. We're talking of intense prayers concerning this matter. Recall that James had written in, in chapter 5 of verse, uh, and verse 13 that is anyone suffering, let him pray. That's what Paul is doing here. He prayed. He was going through a challenge because he said God had sent, uh, uh, sent a messenger from Satan to buffet him. Now, nobody knows exactly what this was, but it was a condition that gave him concern and he prayed. In verse 8, um, it says, concerning this thing, I, I, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I would rather boast about the challenges that I'm facing, about my weakness in dealing with these matters. I'm not strong. I don't have that strength. But when I, when I admit my weakness and I admit the challenges I'm facing, God's grace comes upon me. The grace of God does not come to uh, show that you are a superhuman. The grace of God actually comes because you are weak and it has come to strengthen you. If you are already a superhuman, you do not need the grace of God. So let us understand these things. There are so many abuses that have taken place in the church of God because people try to present a gospel, maybe because the, 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 the essence of it is a membership drive rather than bringing people to the kingdom of God. Let me tell you very, very, very bluntly, the kingdom of God is at variance with this world. And because it's at variance with this world, if you are living according to the way that God wants us to live, one of the things that you will experience is that the world will begin to isolate you. And in that isolation, you are going to feel like everything uh, is lost as it were, as though, as though strange things are happening to you. But the Bible tells us that we should not consider those things as strange things when these fiery trials are, are, are coming upon us, that it is God who is allowing it so that we can be strengthened, so that we can, we can be proven to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, before Paul, the first disciples were prepared for suffering by the Lord. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, we have the kind of uh, issue that we see today. The, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, actually went to the Lord now, one account says they went directly. Another account says they went through their mother. The bottom line is that they were there. And they wanted one to sit on the, on the right side of the Lord and the other on the left. I guess at some point in time they would, have to have, they would have had to quarrel on who would be on the right and who would be on the left because the fellow on the right has a greater uh, stance than the fellow on the left. But in, in the account in Matthew, it says that it was the mother who came to plead with the Lord Jesus concerning that the children, her children should sit one on the right and the other on the left. I don't know why she didn't say anything for herself, but I mean, the idea, the, the, what they thought they had was that the, the, the kingdom that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming to set up, number one, was going to happen immediately. And secondly, it was a matter of enjoyment. 
just like many people see the gospel of God, to, the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, to be something of enjoyment. And when they were asking for these things, now in verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Be baptized and, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. He told them, he said, there's a baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. And you will be baptized with that baptism. But sitting on my right or my left is not even mine to give. It is the Father's uh, pleasure to decide on who will sit on the right or the left. Now, the baptism the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about here is what we call the baptism of suffering. Now, at some point we are going to be looking at, we are going to be, be discussing the fundamental doctrines or foundational doctrines of, uh, of, the, of, of the Christian faith. And one of those doctrines is the doctrines of baptisms, the doctrine of baptisms. And it's pluralized because there are essentially four baptisms in the Bible. We have the baptism into the body. We have the baptism, what we call Christian baptism, or what is called water baptism. And then we have the, the Holy Spirit baptism. And we have, fourthly, the baptism of suffering. The baptism of suffering is where you are dipped into several of life's challenges to strengthen you. Sometimes it even takes you away, as in the case of John or as in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Lord Jesus Christ was talking of the baptism he was going to go to go through, he was talking of his suffering. He was talking of his death on the cross. And James and John readily admitted and said, we are able to go through with it. And they said, no problem. You will indeed go through it. You will indeed go through it. You and I will indeed go through our own baptism, which is orchestrated by God, administered by Satan, but it is teleguided by God. And we will have to overcome such a suffering. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Bible records how James went through his own baptism. Acts 12, 1 to 2. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Before James could even do anything, write a letter, start a church, do anything at all, go on any missionary journey, he was already killed. His, he was, his was the first he was the first apostle to be martyred. He was killed by Herod. He faced his own baptism. He was prepared for it. He was told in advance. But I don't think he expected it to be too soon and to be expected to expect, they expected it to be that way. But that was it. His was done. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, the Bible tells us about um, John. And I'm going to read it. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. History tells us that he was first of all thrown into a pot of hot oil and left there for, I think, uh, some days or so. But when they removed the lid, it was such a heavy lid. When they removed the lid, he bounced out and thinking that, look, this guy cannot be killed by any means, they, 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 they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And that was where he died. Even though from that island, he wrote the, the book of Revelation, which we now have as part of the Bible. But it was on that island that his communication with the outside world was cut off. These are people who served God. And God said that they were going to go through the baptism of suffering. 
we, 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 we can talk about all the others. Peter himself, we, we know, he was hung upside down. He was, he was nailed to the cross, but the cross was turned upside down because he, he, he felt that he couldn't be uh, uh, killed the same way as the Lord. So they said, no problem, we'll turn the cross upside down. We'll still put you on the cross, but we'll turn it upside down. And, and that was a different matter. Now, all the other apostles, one time or the other, were martyred. These were people who served the Lord. And they went through serious suffering to bring this gospel to you and I. Even the English Bible that we have today, the, the, the fellow, uh, one William Tyndale, one of those who, who were propagating the, the fact that the Bible should be translated into English so that you and I can read it today, was burned at the stakes for daring to translate the Bible into English because the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church at the time, insisted that the Bible must be in Latin and that if you were to read the Bible, you must go to the Bible school and study it in Rome. And of course, you must learn Latin. But here was a fellow who felt that the Bible was too important a document to be kept in one place and that everybody needed to understand it. So he made it his life mission to take the Bible, translate it into English, and uh, get it into England. He, he smuggled the Bible literally into England in, in, in English form. When he was finally apprehended, he was burned at the stakes to give us this Bible that we now treat with levity. Just imagine what people have gone through for the sake of the gospel. And we are here with some cheap, run-down version of the gospel. And we are there making noise and able to, to speak all, all manner of things. Whereas... The true gospel has at its core the suffering for the, for the sake of Christ. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, this is what the Lord Jesus said to us about what Christianity is and what we are to expect. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. The Lord is telling us the way to eternal life is, is strewn with tribulations, with trials, with difficulties. It is so difficult that people cannot find it. And it's so narrow, you cannot take a second wife through that road. You cannot be divorced and remarried and go there. It doesn't matter whether you're a bishop. You can't. You cannot live in the flesh. And expect to live the life of eternity with God, which is a spiritual thing. If you live in the flesh, you will die in the flesh. That's the simple thing. It's not about whether you are going to church or not. No, this is what the Lord has told us. That the pathway to eternity is narrow. There are few people who will find it. But the way that goes to life, that goes to destruction is broad. There are many people who are on it. Many people are on this, on this road, this broad road. And they are going to church. All of them on this broad road, thinking that it, it is, it, it is a, a, a life of ease that they have come into. So once they come into, once they come into the gospel, the, 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 the kingdom of God, all they can think of is how they are going to enjoy, how they are going to enjoy themselves, how they are going to live their lives as they want to live their lives. I believe I, 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 I mentioned Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4 earlier, where, where, uh, 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 Paul would say, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Tribulations build us up, and God wants us to be built up. God wants us to develop the, 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 the capacity to endure, the capacity to, 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 to look at tribulations in the face 
and overcome it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, and 17 to 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, this is Paul again writing, says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You say you're a Christian and you are not ready to go through these challenges of life, then please, don't waste your time. Let us, let, let us make one thing clear. God, as much as God wants us saved, note that what God has put in place is a rescue plan. It's not as if he, 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 he's doing something for you and that because he has brought you in, he is now bound to, to, to make the path so straight for you. No, you were you already, you already under his anger, under his wrath. And he brought the gospel to deliver you from the wrath of God. That's what he did. So do not think that God owes you anything. What he owes you, what in fact, he doesn't owe you. He, by his grace, his abundant mercy and kindness, he rescued you from the throes of death. And having brought you, he knows that Satan will be there to keep challenging you. And he's building your spiritual muscles by allowing you to go through the challenges of life. To build you up, to strengthen you. You cannot therefore now turn around and say, no, 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 I didn't bargain for this. No, that is part of the bargain. You may not have been told. Thank God you are not being told. This is part of the bargain of your Christian walk. In verse 17 and verse 18 of the same Second Corinthians chapter 4, he says, for our light affliction, whatever challenges you are going through, whatever suffering, whatever hardship, whatever tribulation, the Bible's definition of it is, it is a light affliction. It's a minor affliction. And he's using that as a comparison. He says, which is but for a moment. It doesn't matter if you are going to be afflicted for the next 50 years. The Bible puts it, the time frame is a moment. Again, he's comparing something and we are going to see the comparison. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So the light affliction is working a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. The, the weight of that glory, when you compare to what you are suffering, is next to nothing. And it says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, not only is your light affliction bringing you a weight of glory, but the more, the, compared to eternity, the length of time you are going through it is a moment. If you recall again the, 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 the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus suffered while on the earth. Dogs were licking his saw. He was feeding from the dustbin. But when he died, angels came and took him into the bosom of Abraham, which was what they had at the time. In our own case, when we die, the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us and takes us straight into, into heaven. But the, but the rich man, the Bible records that he died and he was buried, went down to hell. While he was in hell suffering, he looked up and he saw Lazarus. He couldn't believe it. That Lazarus, this poor man, is in heaven and I'm here suffering. He begged for water. He couldn't get it. My brother, my sisters, I don't want us to joke with this matter of heaven and hell. But I also want you to understand one thing. That suffering is a part of your walk with 
God. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Walk in that narrow path. It's a, it's a path that is restricting. It's narrow. It's restricting you on this side, on the right, and on the left. It restricts you. But the road that takes you to destruction, there are no restrictions whatsoever. You can do as you like. You can live as you want to live. But if you say you are going to hell, if you say you are going to heaven, you are going to stay with God, then you are restricted by holy living. You are restricted by humility. You are restricted rather to live a life of humility. You cannot bring pride into that path. It's too narrow for pride. You know, pride makes you to expand. The road is too narrow for pride to come in. You must be humble. It, it, it's a path that is strong with love, love for the enemy. You cannot be on that road with hatred. Hatred has no place in that route. There are those who keep saying that the Christian life is supposed to be smooth sailing. If you are one of those, you need everything. It appears that you have not looked at the gospel at all. It appears you have not spent time to look at what the gospel is really about. Suffering has the aim of toughening us. Satan can also use it to build discouragement in us. The question is, God's approach, which is to toughen you, or Satan's approach, which is to discourage you. And let me sound this note that if you begin to feel discouraged and depressed, I want you to remember this I'm saying today. Discouragement does not come from God. It is Satan that brings discouragement to man, not God. If anything at all, even when you are down, God will encourage you. You read it in what Paul was saying. We may be, we may be persecuted, but we are not, we are not uh, abandoned. We may be cast down, but we are not left there for long. God is there to encourage you to say, pick it up. You can, you can, you can, you can get out of this. I, I want to read to you. What the Bible says in reading the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith rather, in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to read from the beginning. I'm just going to read a few of the later verses of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to verse 40. Hebrews 11, 32 to verse 40. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions. What one fantastic things they did here. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now this is what many people like. But let's read further now. 35. Women received their dead raised to life. Fantastic. Others were tortured. You see, there are different things. There are people who, who, who receive miracles, but there are people, the Bible says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. They suffered. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Scourging is, we're talking of using something like, it was like barbed wire, but it was leather with, with the blades underneath. They, they slap, they, they will wet your body and beat, use that whip on you. Now, because of the leather there, the leather sticks to the uh, wet, the moisture on your, on your body. So they have to drag it. Once they drag it, the blades will come up and begin to tear your skin. That's the kind of whipping that the Lord Jesus Christ received. So his body was completely battered. And you want to live a life of ease. Remember what the Lord said. He said, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. God did not promise you a life of ease. In verse 36, again, he says, Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. 
they were stoned. They were sawn in two. History has it that Isaiah was put in a tree trunk. They, they, they bore a hollow inside a tree trunk. They put Isaiah inside and that he was sawn in two. The tree trunk was sawn, a prophet. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. The world did not care about these people. They saw them as, 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 as a problem to them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. They went through their sufferings and yet God kept them and said, wait, the fellows, the others still need to come in and, 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 and join you. And we are there doing something else. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. These are witnesses. They've gone before us. They've suffered. They've gone through the challenges of life and they overcame at the end of it. It says, we are surrounded by these witnesses. It says, let us lay aside every weight, everything that seems to pull us down, that seems to drag us back. And the sin which so easily ensnares us, one of those sins, is the love of this world, the love of money. The, the Lord Jesus told Peter when Peter was was uh, uh, rebuking him when he said that he was going to be, he was going to suffer and die. The Lord told him, said, "Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men." That's a sin that easily besets. This 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 desire to want to live in a palace here on the earth. When what God has promised us is, 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 is a mansion in heaven, not here on the earth. These messages that will suggest that we should, we should live here on the earth. It says, let, and it says, those sins that so easily ensnare us, let's leave them aside. And let us run with endurance or with patience or perseverance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us requires perseverance. You persevere through the challenges of life. Those challenges of life are there to restrain you from making progress, but you persevere, you overcome, you overwhelm those challenges that seek to overwhelm you, and you keep moving. In verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It says, follow Jesus' example. See what he did. He endured the shame and the pain of the cross and today he's highly exalted before the father in heaven he says emulate him follow he's the author and finisher of our faith let's let's look unto him and let's follow him. let's follow his pattern and i'm saying to you that is the pattern that we have the pattern that there'll be life's challenges the pattern that there'll be suffering the pattern that people will ask us to pay a bribe for something and because we are christians we refuse and we will suffer the we will suffer deprivation because of that you cannot tell me that you are a Christian sitting in an office and you are asking a bribe because you want to do something for someone. You're not a Christian. You're just a, a spiritual thug with a Bible and, and Christian messages, but it has nothing to do. You are just like a, a chicken that the water does not affect. When you sprinkle water on chicken, you just ruffle his feathers and throws the water away. You may have been baptized in water, but you, I tell you, I guarantee you, you went in a sinner, you came out a sinner. You were just a wet sinner, that's all. But nothing changed in your life. You cannot be a Christian and be driving against traffic because you are trying to make time. 
There are certain things that these things bring our way. And we must be ready to endure. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 and 12, this is what the Lord Jesus is saying to you and I. About, this is what he prepared. In Matthew chapter 5, we know that that was the Sermon on the Mount, or what I call the teaching on the Mount. And he was preparing them from the beginning for what to expect. Look at verses 10 and through to 12. From verse 10 through to verse 12. Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Don't tell me that, oh, my colleagues will say that I am not joining them if I don't accept the bribe. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that my boss will sack me if I don't sleep with him. Don't tell me that. You're not a Christian. If, if you consider that job more important than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Joseph endured because he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife. He could have slept with her and just ended up his life in that place. But he refused and was in prison. It was in prison that God met him. In verse 11 it says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Bible says you should rejoice. We are not to cry like cringing children. We are to rejoice because this is, this is what God expects of us. That we would go through challenges, go through pain. Time will not permit me to read scriptures. I'll just leave you uh, one or two scriptures. Se read 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, from verse 3 to verse 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 3 to verse 13. This was where Paul was encouraging Timothy to endure hardness, to, 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 to face the, 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 the difficulties and the challenges that will come. And he told him that you have to go through these things like a soldier. A soldier does not concern himself with the affairs of civil, of civil life. He wants to please the man or the general that has uh, uh, conscripted him into the army. He talks of going through um, uh, the, 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 the training for an athlete and he must run according to the rules. The rule that you run with here is, part of it is the suffering. The athlete goes through serious training in order to be able to compete effectively. Those trainings are not easy. They wake up very early, sleep very late, eat very little whilst they are training for competition. And God is warning us to go through this. Let me just read verse 8 from verse 8 of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. These people went through the challenges of life. They endured it so that we living today can receive this gospel. And I ask you, how are you living? I had a very interesting story. Let me give you another one that you need, another scripture you need to read. First Peter chapter 5 verse 5 to 10. First Peter chapter 5 verse 5 to 10. It tells us to, 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 be, to be weary of Satan, to avoid, uh, to, to cast all our, uh, all our cares on the Lord, to, to live a sober life because Satan is there prowling around looking for whom he might devour. And it tells us that after we have gone through some sufferings, God will now establish us, build us up and so on and so forth. Read it. And then in First, uh, uh, first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13, the Bible tells us that whatever comes our way, we have been trained for it. It says temptation will come. There is no temptation that is not common to man that we are going to face. And God will make a way of escape for us where we will not be overwhelmed by it. We are able to overcome it. But I want to tell a, a brief story because of time. 
I, I was told that in, in a particular, I think it was in old China, a missionary had gone to preach the gospel and in, in, a, in a city and they heard the joy, the gospel, with so much joy. The missionary was excited. People had been, had been saved, they had been baptized, and a church was going. Then the missionary announced that, well, he was done, his job was done there, and that he needed to go to the next village. And they told him, they said, ah, there is a lion, a man-eating lion between this village and that next village. Because that is why people from the next village don't come to this village, and that's why we don't go to the next village. The missionary said, well, he has to go, because the Spirit of God is asking him to go and preach the gospel to them. Or, or don't you guys want them to? They said they want them to receive, but what of this man-eating lion? How do we do it? A young man got up from amongst them and um, told the missionary, said, give me three days. After three days, start coming. By then, I would have dealt with the lion. So the missionary said, thank you very much. After three days, the missionary proceeded on his journey, and he saw the carcass of that man. The lions had eaten him. Maybe he could identify him with the head and maybe the clothing. That man, because he wanted the gospel to be heard in the next village, gave his life to the lion so that the missionary, he couldn't preach, but the missionary could preach. But what he could do was to make sure that the lion, because when a lion's stomach is full, it doesn't, it doesn't attack. So he went to make sure that the lion's stomach would be full, and by the time the missionary is going, the lion would not be interested in killing anybody. He gave his life so that the next village could hear the gospel. I ask you, what have you suffered for the sake of the gospel? What challenges have you faced for the sake of the gospel? It's, it's, it is a question that we need to keep asking. We need to keep asking ourselves. We need to keep asking ourselves. Because of this run-down or run-of-the-mill gospel that, that is being preached in our, in our, in our time, we need, we, need to, we need to be very, very careful. And one thing I want to I want to I want to leave you with as as I as I begin to round up is that when you are going through your suffering, because you are suffering for Christ, it is Christ who is actually suffering. It's just that you are the vessel that is facing it, but Christ is also there with you. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, the Bible says, In all their affliction, he, that is God, was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. In our affliction, he is also afflicted. You will recall the story of the three Hebrew kids, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, when they were cast into fire by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar looked at the fire and saw a fourth man. The Lord Jesus was inside the fire with them. There is nothing you are going through that the Lord Jesus Christ is not with, with you in. He, he did not, you are not suffering alone. He's there with you. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 5, the Bible tells us this was the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. When the Lord appeared to Saul of Tarsus, he, he, he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul said, who are you, Lord? Why should I be persecuting you? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. As far as, as far, Paul believed that he was serving God's purpose by persecuting the church, the Lord Jesus said, no, it is me you are persecuting. It's, you may be persecuting people, but it is me that you are persecuting. God is making it abundantly clear to you and I that there is nothing you are going through that he is not going through along with you. Be strengthened because he is going through the challenges of life that you are facing along with you, encouraging you to, to, to persevere. Encouraging you to persist. In Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, verse 1 to verse 5. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 to verse 5. Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. I just want to read that very, very quickly. 
Um, it says, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba, in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. He was talking about bringing Israel, but it's also applicable to us because he says, when you are going through the challenges of waters and what I will be with you in Acts, Acts chapter 23. I just want to briefly read verse 1 to 11. It says, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Paul went on to, to, you know, to make his defense and so on and so forth. I'm reading fast, but I want us to just look at verse 11. But the Bible says, But the following night, the Lord stood by him, that is by Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at home. The Lord was with him there when he was giving the testimony. And the Lord told him, The way you have testified of me in, in uh, Jerusalem, you will surely testify of me in Rome, because I am taking you to Rome. You will testify before Caesar. Final word in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27 to 39. The Lord Jesus said here, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the air, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of people who say they will kill you. All they are doing is body. They cannot touch your soul. They cannot touch your spirit. Only God can. And it's either you go to hell or you go to hell. And not two sparrows for a soul for a, a copper coin. And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs, very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But when whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, against her mother rather, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 39. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Until you are ready to die and lose your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe you me, that life will not mean anything. Paul was told by the Holy Spirit that he was going to suffer many things in Jerusalem. He said, I, I count not my life there. I don't count my life to mean anything. Is your life worth anything? You still count it, consider it so worthy that you are not ready to die for the gospel. You are about to lose that life. You must be ready to suffer for the sake of Christ. It is one of the fundamentals of Christianity that you are ready and willing to suffer for the Lord. And I want to challenge you to begin to prepare your mind to go through the challenges of life for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And until we meet, I want to encourage you. And I trust the Lord will be there with you. Are you suffering at this time? Pray. And God will grant you his grace and support. Remember, he's always there with you when you face the challenges of life. God bless you.